The Electronic Intifada. Intifada Electronic. The Electronic Intifada. This is the Electronic Intifada podcast. In Oakland, I'm Nora Barrows Friedman with the Electronic Intifada. Today, we're joined by two filmmakers, Malik Razamni and Matt Peterson, who have started to produce short documentary films about the common struggles between Palestinian refugees and First Nations communities on reservations across the North American continent. Recently, they traveled across Palestine, Lebanon, and Jordan, showing their work and holding important discussions on the connected struggles, and we're delighted to speak with them today. Matt and Malik, thank you so much for being with us today on the Electronic Intifada podcast. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks a lot for having us. So talk about your work and the impetus for this kind of collaborative study on communities struggling from Palestine to the Lakota Nation. Um, you know, I've known Matt for a while now. We were part of a uh, an arts political collective in New York called Red Channels. And um, we this is an idea that we had kind of brought back and forth because you know, there's there's the general historical similarities um, between the uh, the Palestinians and the native peoples here, and I think oftentimes the comparison that's made in the Palestinian cases with South Africa, but I think the native comparison is even more apt because the issue is primarily one about land, and uh, taking a, and this idea of building a utopian uh, community on somebody else's land and, and kicking them off the land, and you know this kind of genocidal policy that's a part of that inevitably so but the, the we didn't know how to go about making that comparison or how how to what was what would be the thread to go through and then i think matt came up with the idea of looking specifically very specifically at the reservation and very specifically at the refugee camp as these kinds of zones that are defined by the history defined by the conflict defined by the struggle and i think it's quite you know when you're in these communities they're not it's not just individuals it's communities Right there, defined by what's going on, as opposed to a native person living in New York City or a Palestinian person living in Los Angeles, or you know, so that I think became the throughway. And it's also a question of, um, in these kinds of spaces, they have a, an odd relationship to the existing nation state that they're in. Uh, at, at that time, I was thinking mainly of the because I'm from Lebanon, I'm Lebanese, so I was thinking mainly of the Palestinian camps in Lebanon and how they operate vis-a-vis the Lebanese government, and that had a parallel to how reservations kind of operate within the, the context of the United States, although different reservations have different agreements. But so that, that, that kind of auto- partial autonomy or partial sovereignty, if you will, that they have also became a through way to explore and then the project kind of grew from there. Yeah, so Malik, you know, he spent half his time throughout most of his life in Beirut, so he had been talking for a long time about how to bring some of us from New York to Beirut. Mm-hmm. We were trying to figure out what exactly could that be or what could that, could that look like. And we kind of thought that the presence of Palestinians, in particular the refugee camps within Beirut, would be an interesting kind of thing for us to think about or explore. And then, you know, those of us here living in the U.S. have felt the last, um, say, five to ten years that native populations have really been on the forefront of environmental struggles here, in particular kind of anti-infrastructure struggles around pipelines, drilling, mining, you know, dams, uranium mining, coal mining, uh, a lot of these questions, protection of water, anti-fracking. So that kind of made us a lot more interested as we became interested in those issues is thinking about the presence of native, native peoples at the forefront of those struggles. So then we kind of thought, 
how can we combine these things? And we thought combining them actually helped us kind of understand both of them somehow a little bit better and also kind of opened up this way in which for them to have a kind of dialogue or exchange, which really helped us kind of open up the project in particular with the native populations. The fact that we were doing this in dialogue and collaboration with Palestinians really Absolutely. made them feel very, you know, much more drawn to it than if we were, if I was just, you know, white American interested in it, they wouldn't be less interested. So the fact that I was doing this with Palestinians made them much more willing to kind of cooperate or participate. Well, tell us a little bit about um, some of your work. And, you know, since this is an audio podcast and we can't show visuals, uh, maybe describe what these films look like, what they go into and, and who the people are that you're speaking to. Well, we've produced uh, three videos so far, uh, and it's important to note that it's not just a documentary film project, it's, it's, a, it's a project in general that kind of is multimedia in nature, because there's so much <clears throat> politically and in terms of the footage that we've acquired, and in terms of the artistic angles that we would like to explore as artists, there's so many different things that we could do and want to do that can't all fit in one feature-length uh, documentary film. So it's, it's a general multimedia project that will culminate eventually in a feature-length doc. Um, so, but as part of the project so far, we've produced these three short videos. And the first one is called uh, We Love Being Lakota. And it's about Pine Ridge, which is the first place that we went to. And <clears throat> it's kind of an introductory. I think the main message of that film is kind of that these native peoples are still there. Um, and they're still fighting. Uh, and there, and it's, it's visually, it's composed of these kinds of sweeping, beautiful, beautiful shots of middle America and these grand, beautiful, uh, places. And it's interesting because a lot of it was shot in the Black Hills and the Black Hills is actually sacred, extremely sacred territory, uh, for the Lakota people. It's, it's where their creation story, uh, takes place in the Black Hills, but the Black Hills is actually not part of the reservation. It's actually a national park. But the way that we included it in the movie makes it seem like it's still Lakota. So in a way, we weren't even going with the traditional realistic doc thing of like, let's see, it's actually what it should be or what they would imagine it to be or kind of privileging the Lakota narrative over the existing reality. Because we shot the Black Hills as, as though it was part of Lakota territory, which historically and culturally it is, but not, in, not, not actually. Yeah, I think one of the things is not only that these native peoples or native territories are still there, but that they're still struggling and they're right. still politically organized. Because typically when people kind of go to native areas, native territories, they do what the native people call poverty porn, in quotes, and they, they show them very poor, very weak, very devastated, very, you know, the high rates of alcoholism, suicide, unemployment, the lack of what people in cities would consider basic infrastructure of like running water or electricity or paved roads. So typically that's what people will kind of see or look at when they go to native territories. But one of the things about our project or about our trips or collaborations was to go to places and to talk to and meet people who are politically organized, who are kind of actively struggling or resisting to kind of defend their autonomy, to kind of declare kind of sovereignty or maintain something of a sovereignty within these places. So both with the Lakota, who have a kind of long tradition of, you know, over 100 years fighting the U.S. government, but even more recently with the American Indian Movement and uh, people now who are organized in something called Oiaku, which is Bring Back the Way, 
who are very much kind of on the forefront of fighting against the Keystone Pipeline. So these are the people we met with uh, at Pine Ridge and Lakota and then with the Mohawk, uh, who, are, uh, who are based in upstate New York on the border of Canada. There's something called the Mohawk Warrior Society, who since the 70s have been kind of somewhat similar analogous to the American Indian Movement, but specific to the Mohawk, who have, who have done a lot, you know, resisting uh, some of the same issues around uh, autonomy on their land and territory and things like this. So this is kind of who we've been trying to kind of focus on uh, in the U.S. context, at least. So these are the videos we've made so far here. And just kind of thinking about the way in which Palestine is also covered, there's there's also an aspect of you know what you called poverty porn. Um, you know, so how how have you tried to to break that sort of um, structural mold in connecting these struggles and connecting their resistance movements? Also, you know, there is a woman in in the in the short film you made who is from the Lakota Nation, and she talks about learning about the resistance movements in, in the Beirut um, area refugee camps. Can you talk a little bit about, about that? Yeah, sure. Um, it's interesting. I mean, you know, if you go back into the, into the maybe like from after 1967 until, you know, the late 80s, the refugee was actually the center of political activism. The Palestinian refugee was actually a locus for, for revolution and, and political activism within the Arab world. And I think since the Oslo Accords, or since the departure of the PLO from Lebanon in, the, in 82, um, that, that's changed. And now the refugees and the refugee camps are these, seen as these objects of poverty, these objects to elicit pity, to elicit charitable donations. And it's no longer somewhere that activists would flock. It's somewhere that you would go to teach English or something, like not even, you know. So, it's, so, the, so the narrative has changed considerably with the Palestinian refugee, and we wanted to kind of reinsert that political narrative back in there. And we did that, and that, that informed our approach to the entire film in the sense that we're just not just trying to show things as they are, but we're trying to speak to the most articulate uh, uh, people who are presenting kind of a new political path forward, somewhere, some way of breaking out of the uh, stalemate. And in Lebanon, that took the shape of, well, we met with the traditional kind of faction leaders, but we also met, more interestingly indeed, with these uh, youth networks. And by youth, we're talking about people in their late 20s and 30s, they're not kids. And these people are basically working um, to kind of lobby the popular committees that control the camps to be more responsive to the needs of the camps. Because um, there's, a, there's this kind of, the, the leadership is kind of locked in this grand discourse. And they're not as responsive to uh, the, the issues of the camp in particular. And as, it become, and as the camps have been there for so long now, since 48 or 67, that becomes an important, really important issue. And they're, they're working with, well, working with and against their own factions and both with and against the Lebanese state to improve conditions there. And so we spoke to those people, and that was actually the more interesting interviews that we did as opposed to the leaders of all the various uh, parties. Yeah, so formally that, the way the film progresses is even though we're filming the reservation or the refugee camp just as we see it or as it looks or as it's experienced, to somehow try to document or convey what it feels or looks like to be there, when we're talking to people, we're talking to them about their political ideas, right. their own analysis of struggle, of revolution, of auto what does autonomy mean to them, what does sovereignty mean to them, how does that relate to their experiences. So we're not talking to them about their so-called poverty or the kind of the, the difficulty, you know, the, the supposed difficulty of their living conditions. Um, you know, we're talking to them about their political ideas, which is one of the maybe differences of some of the you know more traditional human rights kind of documentary approaches 
And I think it's one of the reasons why people are, have been kind of receptive or willing or interested to cooperate with us is because we're giving them that chance or opportunity to talk about their political ideas, which a lot of people don't really think about or listen to. As, as Malik said, people go to these places as sort of charity organizations to give them money or aid or help or kind of these kind of things and don't actually think to listen about their kind of their ideas about what it what it means to struggle now in within these situations. Yeah, I mean, what actually what could we learn from, you know, from these kinds from people struggling in these situations? You know, what can we take away from that from these situations that are so radically different from the ones that we are in, you know? So it's it's a different uh, positioning of ourselves as filmmakers. You're listening to the Electronic Intifada podcast. Visit us online at electronicintifada.net or follow us on Twitter at Intifada. The Electronic Intifada. Intifada Electronica. The ancient people have been oppressed the same way we have, no difference. And so we share the same story with all the Palestine, the Arab countries around the world. But what we see is people in Israel are treating the PLO or the Palestine the same way America treats us. So we can't side with them when they're committing genocide, acts of genocide over there. We feel bad about that, but that's just a fact. So our fight for land is the same. I personally have always believed that the people over there are called upon to stand up in the same manner for the same reasons. It goes beyond a solidarity in, in terms of how it's used in the English language. It's more like a spiritual connection that our, our peoples have. So our, our history as people is very similar in terms of um, colonialism and occupation. And then they try to expel us from our lands and basically separate us out as less than. We have less human rights. We're speaking with Malik Razamni and Matt Peterson, filmmakers uh, based in New York City. Uh, Malik and Matt, tell us about the kind of conversations uh, your films have sparked from Palestine, Lebanon, and Jordan to New York City, and, and I know you're going up to Montreal soon. Tell us about um, how your films have, have sparked these kinds of discussions. Well, we had a great, I mean, we showed um, the We Love Being Lakota video and another video that we shot in Akwesasne, the Mohawk Reservation, called um, The Way of the Longhouse. And we show both of those in Amman and in, well, in Beirut and Amman and in the Janine refugee camp. And the conversations were, I mean, breathtaking. Uh, uh, a, a lady in Amman said that seeing that these Native people are still there and still struggling gives her hope as a Palestinian. And that, I mean, she really meant that. And that was very touching for me and, and Matt and uh, our cinematographer, Adam. It was a very powerful moment. We, we, we had great conversations. I mean, it really, the, with a lot, especially with the Palestinians, seeing the, the best things, I think, were showing the Native stuff to the Palestinians. Uh, the, yeah, because the, uh, you know, the Native stuff act is actually fairly unknown or a little um, not very thought about even here within the U.S., but especially sure. in the Middle East, going to the Middle East in, in Lebanon, Jordan, and West Bank, people really don't really know anything, even though there is this general or vague sense of some kind of similarity or solidarity. It's more of a historic or conceptual thing. 
where people are very kind of didn't really know or didn't have a sense of people actively struggling now. Right. So to, to show them the footage that we shot or the interviews or the, the protests that they're involved in was, was actually quite shocking because people had no idea that they were still kind of native peoples in the United States who were actively protesting and resisting, that were actively organized, that had kind of new sophisticated ideas about autonomy or sovereignty. So it was actually quite eye-opening. And then, as Malik said, you know, we did a screening in Amman, Jordan, at the Jordanians Women's Union, which was mostly Palestinian women, actually. And, you know, they were very struck by it. And they said, wow, we had no idea this existed. We had never, you know, conceived that there were still kind of native peoples in the U.S. struggling like this. And as Malik said, a few of the women, one in particular, said, wow, this gave us hope to see that after all this time, they still have a sense of who they are. They still have their identity. They're still struggling. They're still resisting. They haven't given up. So even though it's kind of complicated, you know, they don't wish to be in this situation for another 100 years or 150 years. But to think that if that were the case, that there would still be resistance, right. that there would still be a sense of who we are, what we're fighting for, that we're struggling, that we have an idea of what our struggle is about. So I think this was... And this was great for us with the project that we weren't just going to reservations and refugee camps ourselves, but that we could bring this material and bring these ideas um, back and forth. And especially in urban centers like New York City, how have people responded uh, to the work that you're doing? I think one of the interesting things, so we did a screening a few weeks ago, or two screenings, uh, one of the, our native, uh, the two shots we shot, and the two shorts we uh, made in native communities, and another of the, uh, the short film we produced in Bethlehem from some of the refugee camps in Bethlehem, is one of the interesting things is that people in New York or the U.S. might actually know more about Palestine than they do about Native Americans, especially in a city like New York where the... Uh, Israel-Palestine issue or the pro-Palestinian movement is so big and so large in the, in the political milieu, uh, people are much more familiar with that or familiar with kind of intricacies of the Palestinian politics than they will be with native communities that live a few hours away. So that was kind of one of the interesting things to open up that discussion or open up that discourse um, here within a, within a New York context, I think. Yeah. And I think even within the Palestinian, um, even within the Palestinian movement, there is a lot of awareness about maybe the West Bank or Gaza, but I think even about our specificity and focusing on the camps and on what's going on politically in the camps in Lebanon and in Jordan and the differences within the camps that even exist within the West Bank. Not just the West Bank in general, but the camps within the West Bank, the, the people from the 48 territories and you know the whole right of return. That was kind of a new angle. And I think even within the Palestinian movement, people uh, were interested in kind of you know learning from that as well as we did, as we have been seeing. Yeah, I think like for the last 10 to 15 years or so to be a kind of pro-Palestinian activist has meant, has been, has meant to go to the West Bank or go to Gaza rather than these refugee camp situations in Lebanon and Jordan or Syria or something, for example. So for us, the project has been somewhat a kind of intervention or a reclamation of the refugee as the kind of subject or symbol of the Palestinian movement and these camps specifically as these sites of resistance. So, so even here in New York, we did the event with um, something called NYC Solidarity with Palestine, which started last summer around protesting the, uh, the situation in Gaza. So this was a kind of large activist audience, very familiar with Palestinian struggles. And, you know, even for them or for all of us to have this discussion together about thinking about the refugee situations in Lebanon and Jordan was kind of interesting or eye-opening, you know. 
Well, Matt and Malik, uh, what are you working on now and how can people see your work and get in touch? Well, we're, um, we, have, we have a website w, that we just launched this week, actually. It's www.thenativeandtherefugee.com. And on that, we have uh, writings that we're going to text that we will be releasing and press. And we also have a list of the events that we've done and will be doing. And then, of course, we have the videos uh, that we've released. We've released uh, two videos with the, that done in collaboration, actually, with the Palestinian group surrounding this martyr that was killed, actually, while we were in the West Bank, in the same camp that we were staying in, not more than 50 meters from where we were. And We Love Being Lakota is there as well. And we'll be releasing more videos on, on uh, that website as well. And then... Uh, yeah, next week we'll go up to Montreal to kind of screen the videos and do a presentation there, which is interesting right. because in, in Montreal you have simultaneously a large Native population and also a large Arab population. So it, it'll be kind of interesting to kind of show the videos there to have, see what kind of discussion it kind of opens up or provokes there. Because in Canada it's actually very different than the United States the way native populations are kind of treated or dealt with and the way it exists within political discourses is, is very different because they make up a much higher percentage of the population. Right. Here it's uh, about about 1% in the U.S. Is, is native. It's much higher, maybe 10, 15, 20, I'm not, I'm not totally sure, in Canada. So it'll be interesting for us to, to do the event there to kind of have this discussion. Um, but yeah, we'll keep releasing videos as we go along. Uh, we're going to release a video for uh, May 15th, the Nakba Day. Um, so we'll, we'll release a new video um, with footage from the, the refugee camps in Lebanon, come out with a testimony um, from a guy from 48. Yeah, he, he, it's kind of going to be a juxtaposing of uh, a gentleman we met in the Arub camp near Hebron who was born in 48, and he discusses, we, were, we had a community kind of meeting, and he just went on a, you know, a rant kind of about his whole life. So it's going to be juxtaposing that with footage from the different camps today. And there's kind of maybe a resonance between his, his story about his village where he was born, you know, in, in the 40s, and then the situation today and how drastically it's changed in a short period of time. Because these are people who left, you know, with the expectation that they were going to go back home a year later. They thought they were leaving for the summer. And then they find themselves, you know, 70 years later living in, in abject poverty with no rights in these countries, right. at least in the case of Lebanon. So. And that's why the key is such a symbol, you know, because they, they left with their keys in their pockets and they still have their keys. You know, so that's why this key of the right of return is like, I want to go back to my house. I hear the keys, you know, I have the keys, let me go back. So this guy literally, for example, you know, left with a house and then has never been able to go home. So we're going to produce this video for May 15th. Well, that's the voice of Matt Peterson and Malik Razamni. They are filmmakers based in New York City. And again, the website is thenativeandtherefugee.com. Is that Correct. right? Great. Yep. Malik and Matt, thank you so much for all your work. It's very exciting. And uh, we look forward to seeing what you produce next. Thank you so much for being with us on the Electronic Intifada podcast. Thank you for having us. Thanks a lot. And that's it for the Electronic Intifada podcast. For news, information, cultural features, and reviews, and pointed opinion and analysis, visit us online at electronicintifada.net. You can also post comments and sign up for our daily email digest. Follow us on Twitter at Intifada. Radio stations are free to use this podcast, and on behalf of all of us at the Electronic Intifada, thank you for listening. <laughs>